Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest and on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book right podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, along with Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, March 15, 2018, also known as the Ides of March. Hello, Eric. Hello. How's it going? Oh, not bad, not bad. Uh... Excited to talk about some books and maybe mm-hmm. uh, talk about a little festival. So, um, yeah, uh, just this past weekend, I went to the uh, Nova Teen Book Festival, the Northern Virginia Teen Book Festival. It's um, right outside DC in, in Arlington, um, and it was really lovely. You know, there were just a, a ton of authors there. Um, I got to see uh, like Arvin Armani and um, oh my goodness, who else was there? Um, Karen. Uh, she she wrote that book. Uh, Karen McGannis. What, what, what's her um, that book? Um, oh, one of us is lying. Yeah, one of us is lying. Mm-hmm. Um, just just tons and tons of great people. Danielle Clayton, um, Anna Marie McClure, um, and a lot of people confused me for Arvin Armani, which was really funny. I think it's that we're both you know brown and wear a hat and have a beard. Um, but the <laughs> sort of most embarrassing thing happened while I was there. I, I met Robin Talley for the first time. Um, now she's wrote, written all these great books that I love just so so much. Um, you know, her own private universe. Um, you know what we left behind as I descended, which is just fantastic. Uh, so I was just sort of fanboying a little bit. We're in the library and I bumped into her and she said hi and I was like, oh my god, do you know who you are? You know, it was <laughs> it was bad. Um, actually, I think I think I was I think I was cool. But I think that's what we all like to sort of think <laughs> we are when we're mm-hmm. these sort of moments. Um, but oh well. I've read every single one of her books, and I love them all very much. And I don't know. Kelly, do you do you ever have these kind of moments? I feel like you meet a ton of authors. I don't. I don't get super, like, fangirly. Um, See, I wish. Like, what? Oh, I wish I could do that. You're so good at keeping yourself together. Well... Until I'm not, you know, like, so, so more, more of mine are like embarrassing moments than anything. And one that like always comes to mind is at big conferences, like the American Library Association conference, publishers will put together these previews or dinners or luncheons where they highlight some of their upcoming books, where you can meet some of the authors and the editors from these houses. And, um, they're really nice. So I got invited to one that was a dinner and it was happening like, right at the end of a day where I had a bunch of things going on, including a presentation. So I had to like run from my presentation to this dinner location. Mm -hmm. And um, so I get there and I'm like sweaty and gross and like just a mess, right? But I got there, you know, I'm of the, if you RSVP, you show up, um, even if it's just for a little bit. Yeah. And I'd RSVP'd, so I got there, even though it was, 
you know, a mad rush. And then I'm sitting down next to this executive editor and she's telling me about um, the books that she's been working on and what she's excited. And I have the hiccups. So this whole time we're talking, I can't even like get more than one word out without, you know, hi, how is, you know, over and over and over. And I'm like, she's probably looking at me like, man, you came in here looking a mess and you have the hiccups. Like <laughs> someone is having a way better ALA than she should be having. When in fact, <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's an awful experience. Um, and one of those where I'm just like, man. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that's mine. I'd rather be like fangirl than just a yes. mess. <laughs> what have you been reading? Oh, man. So... So I picked up a lot of great books at that festival. Um, like I got Children of Blood and Bone. I finally got myself a copy of Wild Beauty. Um, these all I got all these signed, by the way. I had like a suitcase that I just crammed full of books. I must have had like <laughs> 20 books by the time I got home. That bag was so heavy. But, you know, my my son will get older and have a bunch of YA books that he's not allowed to read because they're autographed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, so I got a copy of Finding Felicity by Stacey Cade sent in the mail to me. Um, and I only just started reading it. You know, I'm a couple pages in, so I can't really speak to the story that much. But it's about a, a teen who, on her way to college, uh, discovers a, a, a quote-unquote old show uh, called Felicity um, and decides she wants to live her life the way Felicity did. And, Kelly, maybe this is an episode, like, YA that makes us feel old. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, I know YA is for teenagers and not for us. But, oh, my goodness, Felicity, an old show. Uh <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't get over this. Um, you know, and it made me think a lot about like, are there is there are there going to be a bunch of YA novels in the next few years, you know, inspired by old TV shows, you know, like teenagers picking up old shows on on Hulu or or Netflix or you know whatever the case is. You know, I know ER just hit net uh, just hit Hulu. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe we're gonna see uh, teenagers being inspired by these these old sort of. Uh, shows in uh in books i don't know it's a it's an interesting thing to think about it is and it's interesting to think about too in terms of like the 1990s being really hip and trendy now Mm -hmm. and where that might fit in with teens finding these shows and sort of like living those stories or experiencing those stories as part of their own but as you were talking about that it also got me thinking are these books for people our age yeah you know who want that nostalgia trip? Like, yeah, we're old. Um, deal with it. But also, like, you're reading this book that you wish you lived when you were a teenager. Yeah, like there's those those, those great um, YA X Files books that came out like uh, mm-hmm. know, last year, year and a half ago. Uh, ones by Cami Garcia, um, and and they're really fun. You know, it's really fun to hang out with Teen Mulder and Teen Scully. But at the same time, I'm like, does a teenager now watch the X Files? Like, are they? I don't know. Like, I don't know who it's for. Um, but oh well, I read them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there was, um, or it's it, it's either out or it is coming, the Buffy books, mm-hmm. too. Um, I think about Buffy a lot in terms of, like, okay, there are probably teenagers who are watching it, but let's be real, uh, it's mostly adults who <laughs> are reliving when they watched it as teenagers and mm-hmm. enjoyed it then, and, um, you know... Um, which they, is fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because I think you get both sides there. You get the adults who get the nostalgia as well as the teens who are like just discovering it for the first time and sort of having that like what's old is new again. Um, moment it makes me think discovery. of like of like the YA contemporary novels where like 
there's like the 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 brooding teen boy who is listening to Elliot Smith on like his mm-hmm. iPod, and I'm like, come on, is that really? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm reading the brand new anthology that just came out called The Radical Element, edited by Jessica Spotswood, and it's a collection of short stories about girls through history set in different time periods in American history, different places around the country. And um, one of the things that Jessica talks about in her introduction has got me thinking a lot, and she talks about this idea of a girl being the radical element, which is girls... um, who buck against what you would expect of them or of their place or of their time period. And um, it just got me thinking a lot about today's teenagers and the sort of spaces and discussions that they're leading and occupying that otherwise they may not have or have had the same sort of platforms to really pursue um, and just thinking about those contemporary teens reading the, these stories, which showcase these girls who are doing like really powerful like things that they might not have been seen as appropriate for them to be doing at those times and periods, and um, it's just interesting to think about yeah. how these historical stories—they're fiction—but you very much see where they could fit in today, and. Um, where they also fit in, in in those historical moments, too. Like, you know that these sorts of things happen in some capacity. And um, what I really like about this anthology and in the previous anthology that Spotswood did that was similar is each of the stories ends with a little note from the author about the inspirations for the stories. And they all come from, like, a real moment in history. And um, so I love that you get the fiction, but also you're given sort of these breadcrumbs to go down you know, a rabbit hole for nonfiction, for finding out these true historical moments. So um, about halfway through, and we're getting finally into the time periods that, like, I really enjoy reading about, so the 1900s and um, in that era. So I'm really looking forward to continuing to read those. Yeah, I like any books that make me have to Google, like, while I'm reading them. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of that. Who's who's yeah. in that in that anthology? Um. So Dahlia Adler, she was the first one in there. Uh, Megan Shepard, Sarah Farazan. I just read one by Erin Bowman. Oh, okay. um, It's really nice because the first few stories that I've read were by authors I haven't read before. Um, so I'm, I'm excited because I think the next one I've got is, is uh, Jessica Spot, Spotswood's own story. Um, and then after that, there's a bunch of authors like Danielle Clayton, um, Sarah Farrison, who I mentioned, and I can't wait to see what their what their spins are going to be. So wow, yeah, there's some heavy hitters in that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So I will go in with our first sponsor, and then we can dive into our topics, which have a little bit to do with the radical element. Would yes, you say? I would. <laughs> uh, so our first sponsor is the Price Guide to the Occult by Leslie Walton. When Rona Blackburn landed on Anthium Island more than a century ago, her otherworldly skills might have benefited friendlier neighbors. Guilt and fear instead led the island's original eight settlers to burn the witch out of her home, so Rona cursed them. In her second novel, Leslie Walton spins a dark, mesmerizing tale of a girl stumbling along the path towards self-acceptance and first love, even as Price Guide's malevolent author, Noor's own mother, 
looms and threatens to strangle any hope for happiness. This is a dark YA crossover title, which respectfully deals with self-harm, and it's a multi-generational novel about women and witches and female empowerment. And I have to say, I am into this like micro-trend of witches in YA right now. Um, this is the second one that I know about, Shay Earnshaw's The Wicked Deep, which just came out and I believe hit the bestseller list, um, is another one about witches. So I'd like to see more of those. I like those stories. Yeah, me too. That's awesome. Yeah. And I like to, um, at least with The Wicked Deep, I haven't read The Price Guide yet. Um, they're standalone, but it's such a rich world that there could be additional volumes in the in the series without you know losing anything from a standalone. So yeah, that's, that's how I like my series books to roll. <laughs> Um, so this first topic we're going to talk about, I'm going to lead in a bit more because um, what those who don't do podcasts might not know is sometimes you brainstorm ideas and topics and you're like, yeah, we're going to like really go hard and talk about this. And then like life happens, so you don't get to spend as much time with it as you want. Um, you know, and in Eric's case, life is in the form of, you know, a child. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... So I, I will talk numbers a little bit more, and then I'm going to ask Eric if he'll jump in um, whatever he wants to, and also just to provide some context from his uh, from his agenting point of view. Man, I got tongue-tied there. <laughs> so, so earlier this month, the CCBC, which is um, Educational Library Research Center at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, released their numbers on diversity in children's lit. So they've been doing this a number of years. Um, I'm sure listeners who've paid attention to diversity statistics might be familiar with their name or the work they do. They just put out their 2017 numbers. And the CCBC numbers look at published books in two different ways. So they look at the books that they receive from all over the world, and then they look at books from U.S. publishers only. Um, it's not a huge difference in numbers, but for people who really like getting granular, like those crunchy, like super specific numbers are there. Um, they like to look at books and categorize them as books by authors of color or um, native First Nations authors. And they like to look at books which include a significant character of color. So it can be the main character, but it could also be a secondary character who has a particularly um, large role in the, in the book itself. So I looked at the numbers for books published worldwide sent to them. And over the course of 2017, they received 3,700 books total, which Eric, you would say that that's a good portion of children's books published last year, right? Yeah, that's a... That's- yeah, that's that's a that's a good number. I'm I'm not super familiar with the uh, like picture books and everything like that, but when you think about YA books, um, yeah, it's it's definitely in there. Okay, so so it's fairly representative of like what's out there. Like this is a good chunk of the pool of what's out there. Um, so what they found was that of the 3,700 books total, 340 of those books had black characters. And 122 of those 3,700 books were by black authors, which breaks down to roughly 9% of books had black characters in them and 3% were by black authors. Um, those are two separate numbers. They're not the own voices numbers. So books about black characters by black authors. 
But CCBC also runs a blog, and they they looked at these numbers too. So um, for 2017, of the 3,700 books they received, 100 were about Black characters by Black authors. So roughly 29% were own voice stories. Then for Native American First Nations characters, there were 72 books about them out of the 3,700 and 38 by Native First Nations authors, which breaks down to about 2% of books were by Native First Nations authors and 1% were by Native or First Nations authors. Um, Those are super, super tiny numbers. Um, When you look at own voices for... Books about Native characters by Native authors, you have 38 of those, what was it, um, 72 books, our own voices books, so 53%. Then for books about Asian characters, there were 310 out of 3,700 books, and 274 books were by Asian authors of those 3,700 books. So roughly 8% of the books they received were about Asian characters, and 7% were by Asian authors. Um, And then when you look at the own voices statistics of the 310 books about Asian characters, you got 122 who were by Asian authors, so 39% own voices. And then the final numbers that they looked at were the ones that really stood out to me, um, and I'll explain why shortly. So of the 3,700 books total, 216 were about Latinx characters and 116 were by Latinx authors. So 6% about Latinx characters, 3% by Latinx authors, with a total of 73 of the 216 books being own voices, so 34%. Um, When you add up all those numbers, you get that of the 3,700 books they received, 24%, 24%, only 24%, not even a quarter of the books were about a character of color. That number is just astonishing to me. Um, particularly when you think about the fact that um, Latinx, the Latinx population in the United States is itself a quarter of the U.S. population. Yeah. And we aren't even seeing that for all characters of color and First Nations. And... Um, Native American characters in children's books. Um, And this is children's books across all age ranges, so picture books all the way through the oldest YA books. Um, So sort of digesting those numbers a bit, I then looked back at statistics from prior years. And um, most of the years up until, or back until 2013, were fairly on par. in terms of like representation percentages. But 2013 is where you can see things sort of started changing. Um, in 2013, only 3% of books were about black characters that year. 1% about native characters. 2% about Asian characters. 2% about Latinx characters, which comes out to 8%. 8% of books in 2013 were about characters of color. So I would say that our 24%, still as sad as it is, is is showing some improvement at least. Um, But I can't help but point out it was in 2014 when We Need Diverse Books uh, launched and when the conversation around inclusivity and having more diverse representations in children's literature really, really started getting loud. Yeah, and you know, and I can't help but wonder... 
you know, we, we see that happen as like sort of this big, big catalyst for, for, for change. Uh, I wonder if, you know, some of these books coming out this year, um, hitting the bestseller list are going to have the same sort of effect, you know, um, mm-hmm. like just, just the past two months, you know, we've seen the bells by Danielle Clayton hit the bestseller list. We've seen, um, you know, the hate you give continue, uh, it's awesome rain over the bestseller list. We saw Children of Blood and Bone this week debuted at number one on the bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm hoping that this is a you know a nice additional kick in the pants uh, for some publishers to to push for these sort of voices because obviously the readers are there um, if they're hitting the list like this. Yeah, and when publishers and when gatekeepers are putting their money and their mouths behind it, those books are finding their readership. Um, you know, and this is what authors of color have been saying for forever. So, you know, it's, it's nothing new. It's just like, finally, when a little bit of listening happens, like those results show themselves because they should be showing themselves. Um, which sort of leads me into this next portion of this that I wanted to talk about both the numbers that I mentioned and what you said about what current um, sales and trends are showing. And um, so starting earlier this month, there's been a series of blog posts shared across social media with the hashtag KidLitWomen. Um, in the show notes, I will link to the whole roundup of all of them because they're all really interesting and they explore different aspects of gender and children's literature. But the one that I wanted to really sort of hone in on was by Edie Campbell. And she wrote a piece about what she calls black girl economics in YA. So Edie looks at the CBC, CCBC data, the same data that I just looked at. And she looked at a list of um, titles by authors of color that has been kept by Zeta Elliott for quite a while as well. And what she did is she looked at how black girls specifically are being represented in YA. And so she looked at books about black girls by black authors over the last three years, just to sort of get an idea of what the landscape looks like. And in 2015, there were eight books. In 2016, there were 14 books. And in 2017, there were 11 books. When you look at those numbers like that, like that is chillingly raw in how underrepresented black female voices in YA literature really are. Um, but it becomes even more stark when she starts breaking it down into other aspects of representation and storytelling. So Zeta found only one book in those three years, one book with queer content in it. And that's Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert, which came out last year. She only found two books, which were speculative fiction. Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor and Siege of Shadows by Sarah Raleigh. Um, and not a single book in the three years that she looked at featured an Afro-Latina at the center of the story. <sighs> one book. Ugh. One book. And when you... I mean, it's a great book, but one? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. And it's so easy to want to be like... There has to be more, but really there's not. When you look at those numbers and you're like, there were only 11 books last year by black girls about black, by black women about black girls, 11. And um, Edie's sort of digging into this is really worth reading, particularly when she talks about literacy and about the ways that black girls see themselves represented in their culture. So she talks about 
there not being many speculative fiction stories. And this is one that really like struck home with me because we're not showing black girls in adventures. Like they don't get to have adventure stories. Um, so many of their stories are contemporary fiction. And as Edie notes, a lot of them are tragic and full of black pain. And um, those stories are important and vital and have clearly done very well in you know the book world and um, just on the broader scale. But black girls are only seeing themselves in those sorts of stories. Yeah, there's more to life, you know? Like, there's that, oh, there's a moment in, like, The Princess Bride, right, where Wesley is like, life is pain. But, yeah, no, it's not, you know? Like, there's there's right. so much more. And it just, right. ugh, it just kills me that, like... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, um, you know, it's just, I think about those black teen girls who are like, they never see themselves in space. They never mm-hmm. see themselves fighting dragons. They're just not there. Like, they're invisible. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of value in looking at numbers. Like, these numbers are important to look at because they're super um, eye-opening. But I think, too, when you look at the qualitative parts of it, so, like, these more categorical sort of things, it, it just gets even harder to sort of sit with. Like, one book with a queer character, black girl, by a black woman, like one, I can't even, that's not realistic at all. You know, mm-hmm. the, the world is much, much wider than that. Um, something I wanted to ask you. So sitting with these numbers, sitting with um, this sort of data in your aging life, what have you seen in terms of inclusivity and in terms of like the sorts of queries you're getting, the sorts of writing that you're seeing and hearing about um, what is out there. Do you think these numbers are going to change? Do you think we'll see more representation? Like, I think they're going to change. Yeah, I think they're going to change. I, I, I certainly hope so. Um, because I think the intention is there. You know, I talk to a lot of editors, you know, pretty much every day and they're all looking for these kind of books. They're all looking for, you know, the diverse, inclusive voices. Um, so the push is there. It's just, let's see those books start coming out. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And also not just in terms of the, the, the editor publishing house side on the agent side of things, um, you see the push as well. Um, there's this agent, Beth Felon, who I just adore, who has a uh, pitch contest called DV Pit. Um, it's a little hashtag. You go on there, you talk about your book in like a tweet, uh, and you hope to find an agent who might be interested. She has a day that's just dedicated to Kidlit. Um, and I think the next one is in April. Uh, so those of you guys who are writers, uh, check it out because it will give you hope. Um, there are so many people on there talking about their books and uh, getting their voices in front of people in a really like sort of accessible way because publishing doesn't – it's not always – well, it isn't very accessible. Uh, mm-hmm. So having agents like her doing that kind of work is um, – I think is what's going to help uh, this, yeah. this problem that's here. Absolutely. And I think too – I do think that these mega bestsellers, which now we're seeing, you know, with Children of Blood and Bone, you've got you've got your epic fantasy right there yeah. um, hitting number one on the times list. And it's like, so you've got that. Then you've got The Hate You Give, which is a super important book also hitting the list. And you get books by Nicola Yoon, which are romances hitting the list. And it's like the more you see that, the more I think that we'll see more titles by authors of color featuring characters of color across a variety of genres and digging into different topics. And I, I hope that that's the case. I really do. Um, 
So fingers crossed that, you know, this continues. Yes. Um, do you want to jump into our second sponsor? I do. All right. So our next sponsor uh, is a book that uh, Kelly and I talked a great deal about because it made us cry. Uh, the Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Penn. Uh, Lee is certain about one thing. When her mother died by suicide, she turned into a bird. Uh, Lee, who is half Asian, half white, travels to Taiwan to meet her maternal grandparents for the first time. There, she's determined to find her mother, the bird. She winds up chasing after ghosts and uncovering family secrets. Alternating between real and magic, past and present, friendship and romance, and hope and despair, this debut novel about finding oneself through family history and love is perfect for fans of Jandy Nelson and Celeste Ng. Uh, non-linear narrative, magical elements of the story, Lee's identity struggles as a half-Asian, half-white girl, family secrets, grieving closure. There is so much uh, in this book, and the use of colors to convey emotion. Um, you're going to love it. Uh, it is a really big book, um, and this is me going off script, um, that you're going to love and wish there was more of. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I've definitely picked up YA novels that are, like, big, hefty tomes and, like, you know... By the time you're on like page 350, you're like, okay, is this is this going to end yet? What's going on? And that is not the case mm -hmm. with this book. You know, I wanted more of the sort of gorgeous prose that uh, that she has in this novel. Um, so I'm glad this is our second sponsor because I like to gush about <laughs> this lovely book. Totally, yeah, I I love this book too, and I agree. I wanted more. I could have kept going and going and going, and I'm I'm one who wants my short my story short. Yeah. Um, but, oh, it's so beautiful. Whew. So, <laughs> transitioning from our last topic, I feel like this fits. And again, if we want to tie into that idea of the radical element, this is, like, perfect, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, this week, and happening again, I think next week, um, it's either the 21st or 24th, there's another dedicated day for student walkouts about um, gun violence and the one that happened yesterday made the news everywhere, um, marking the one-month anniversary of the Parkland shooting. And um, what has been so interesting is to see the sort of media attention put on these, these students and, and how many of these were student-organized um, walkouts, so students taking the power. And we know, and you probably know, these aren't the first um, but these are the first that are getting the sort of widespread attention that they're getting, I believe, um, yeah. on a wide cultural level. Um, you know, stud students, especially students of color, have been protesting and walking out of classrooms and demanding better um, of their education for, you know, protection from violence. Um, but they haven't received the same kind of media attention that, that this has. And um, I feel like sort of talking about Student change makers of all stripes and colors, I think, uh, is worth worth sort of digging into a little bit here, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we thought we would talk about some books about teen change makers and stories about young people who are seeking things like safety and truth and justice and using their voices as teenagers to do that. So um, the first one that I wanted to talk about, this feels like such an obvious one, um, but one that <laughs> I don't think people talk about a whole lot is uh, The Chocolate War by Robert Cormier, so mm -hmm. a classic YA book. It's about a boy who refuses to follow his fellow students, and um, he gets hell for it, 
you know, and, and it's yet the sort of resistance that helps him grow into the person he is and will be. Um, what's interesting is when you think about the book in that sort of capacity, you're seeing that a book that early on in YA's existence is very much about teenagers acting and doing like on their own terms. It's yeah. I think readers who haven't picked this one up um, since they were young or if they haven't picked it up ever, um, you'll be surprised still how relevant it is. I mean, it's, it's selling chocolate at that, at that stage. So you're like, okay, this is a little bit, you know, (laughs) a little bit old school. Um, and yet it's about so much more than that. Yes. And I've definitely mentioned, um, Cory Doctorow on the podcast before, but you know, I'm a fanboy. Um, (laughs) and I feel like little brother is a great entry point to his YA novels and a really awesome Mm -hmm. example uh, of a teen changemaker. Um, it's dystopian, very 1984-esque, uh, in, in terms of the way the story is told uh, about a teen who gets thrown into a secret prison when he's accused of being part of this uh, hacker group. Uh, and he ends up having to fight against this, uh, this police state that basically takes over uh, when he's let out. So it's all about, uh, it's about like hacktivism, um, which is a really interesting thing to, uh, to be discussing in YA. Absolutely. Um, my next one is Destroy All Cars by Blake Nelson. This is a little one that came out quite a few years ago that I don't think enough people read. Um, It's about a teen environmentalist who is like super, super passionate about changing the ways we interact with our limited resources. And he does this through like a journal that he's keeping for his teacher. I want to say it's for English class. And he just like, he goes on and on about getting rid of cars and about the pollution that we're putting into the environment. And um, it's one of those stories that's like over the top and a little ridiculous. And yet that sort of passion pouring out of this young boy is just amazing to read and, and sort of the impact it has on um, the people in his life. It's um, for readers who haven't read Blake Nelson, like he has this capacity to capture a teenager's voice like so perfectly. And I feel like this is one of those books that just really showcases his, his skill in doing just that. Um, and that's Destroy All Cars by Blake Nelson. Hey, I'm going to check that one out. I haven't heard of that. And like I love... Uh, why that talks about nature and everything. That's mm-hmm. all right. Do you, oh, I guess mine is next too, cause you're going to lead into, yes. um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So my, my next one is the March trilogy by John Lewis. Um, let's just take a graphic memoir about somebody who was a change maker all through his career, through his whole life and, and put it in such a way that a teenager can pick it up and be like, I too can make change. Um, you know, and two, I think, this is such a great book for reading Lewis's other work and for sort of getting to know this profoundly important activist who we still have um, around that, you know, is still doing good work. And also he's the one who like tweets about his cats too, doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just, I love that. And I really see where people can just relate to like wanting to make the change, making the change and also having, you know, this life that's, Full. That's really full. Um, and enjoyed, you know. First Second did those, right? Are they are those First Second books? <sighs> maybe. I don't, I don't know. 100% know. I'll have to check. Um, but yeah, so... Yes, speaking of, uh, of, of books like John Lewis's awesome uh, memoir, um, tying into that is uh, The Rock and the River duology by... How do you say it? Is it Kekla Magoon, I, th- I think? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a... 
Yeah, it's set in Chicago in the late 1960s. It's about a teenager who's a son of a famous civil rights activist um, who sort of finds himself wrestling between uh, how he wants to fight. You know, does he want to... Uh, proceed with uh, peace or does he want to go with violence um, talks and there's a sequel called the fire in the streets uh, which is about a teen girl who wants to become a black panther um, mm-hmm. yes this duology is really great uh, definitely recommend checking it out yeah and Kekla had another book um, how it went down that came out a few years before um, they hate you give and all American boys which mm-hmm. I think it sort of got overlooked, but it's another one of those like Black Lives Matter books that's worth picking up. I feel like Heckler's books, like in general, just grab a stack of them and sit down and yeah. like be blown away. Um, my next one is The Side of Home by Renee Watson. So she's uh, one of my favorite authors in YA, and she's only done a couple YA books so far, but um, this was her first, and it's about a girl named Maya who is a student leader in her school, and she has a lot of power in that community, but she's sort of struggling with this idea that the neighborhood she's grown up in is changing. It's being gentrified, so she's sort of at the crossroads of, like, what should she do? Does she um, accept these sort of community changes, or does she push back against it and um, work towards protecting these people who've called this home for so long and who you know, now might not be able to or seeing their home changed in such a way that it impacts them. Um, super, super good. Uh, that's The Side of Home by Renee Watson. Hmm. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll do another one and then you can jump in because this fits too. Um, this is an older one, The Latte Rebella- Rebellion by Sarah Jamila Stevenson. This is a book about an accidental activist, but in a way that... Um, Oh, it's so good. So there's a racist student who calls Ash, the main character, uh, a really nasty comment. And she and her best friend decide that they're going to sort of push back about this comment and create a T-shirt to help raise money for a post-graduation trip the girls want to take. So, like, they're spurred to create this T-shirt to make money based on this terrible thing somebody called them. The T advertises what they call, quote, the Latte Rebellion, which raises awareness of mixed-race students. There's the premise. These girls think they're going to sell these shirts, they're going to get some money, they're going to get to go on their trip, right? But overnight, the shirt goes viral, (laughs) and there are groups popping up across the country who are calling themselves the Latte Rebellion groups. And now Asha is at this point where she's like, do I lean into this? How do I handle these groups that are causing problems? Oh, oh, yeah, I have to keep my grades up. And also, like, what's happening with my friendships? Um, So it's sort of that struggle of, like, when you become an accidental person who is an activist and who is trying to push for change and awareness. Um, And that's The Latte Rebellion by Sarah Jamila Stevenson. Yeah, that sounds great. I have not heard of that one. You're you're giving me lots of good good (laughs) recommendations here. Um, So speaking of sort of... um, I don't know if this, this activism is was an accident so much as it was, um, how do I phrase it? Well, just activism coming from a, a, a different uh, route than it should, I guess, uh, is the, the Inside of Out by Jen Marie Thorne. Um, I think it's an interesting one to bring up here uh, because it's about a straight teen girl who uh, basically comes in from the sidelines and takes over her best friend's uh, coming out moment. Um, like she goes out and she joins the gay straight Alliance, um, and decides she's going to fight to make the school dances inclusive. 
but then she kind of takes over this movement that isn't hers. Um, it's a story that's kind of about realizing your privilege and that maybe uh, there are ways to support other voices instead of stealing the spotlight and making it all about you. Um, I've never really seen a book tackle this the way this one does, and maybe Latte Rebellion does. Um, and I feel like this book is really great and underrated. It's it's about fighting for the rights of the people you love, um, but not at the expense of silencing them, which is a mistake uh, you know people sometimes make. They're they're trying mm-hmm. to they're they're pushing their own voice and forgetting that maybe you should be boosting up other people's. Yeah. Um, now that you mention it, you reminded me I haven't read that one yet, and I really wanted to read it for that reason. Yeah, it's um, really good. So then, sort of to to turn the coin a little bit, I think this is worth also bringing up in this this moment. Um, there are a number of really powerful, moving YA books about school shootings, and um, they're hard. They're so hard to read and to sort of sit with, knowing how on the pulse they are, how how realistic they are. Um, but I think they're worth mentioning and talking about for readers who sort of um, just want to develop that sense of empathy for for the victims and for, for today's students in general, like what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis when they go to school. Um, so some of the titles worth noting are Hate List by Jennifer Brown, which may have been one of the first ones to come out. This was 2008 or 2009. It was, it was quite a while ago. Um, this is How It Ends by Marie K. Nijkamp, which has been on the New York Times bestseller list for you know, almost two years since it, since it came out. Um, Violent Ends, which is an anthology edited by Sean David Hutchinson that explores the different people impacted by a single shooter and uh, them coming to terms with like what happened, what they lost, how their lives have changed. Shooter by Walter Dean Myers. And then there's a book coming out this fall by one of our favorites, Cody Keplinger, um, called That's Not What Happened, and it's also about a school shooting. Yeah, I didn't know she had another book coming out. That is that is really great news. Um, I'm going to look that up. Um, also, uh, Underwater by, by Marissa Reichart um, is a novel about a school shooting survivor that sort of deals with um, survival's guilt. So it's this really mm-hmm. painful, really great novel. Um, and also uh, And We Stay by Jenny Hubbard. It's um, Teen Girl's ex threatens her with a gun and then takes his own life. Um, these are also both about you know guns and schools and the... Uh, what happens to the people that are that are, you know, living with it afterwards? Yeah, that's. Um, it's just hard to think about how these books are so like relevant, and you hate that they're relevant and, yeah. and real, and you know. Um, but one thing you can do, and I'm just thinking in terms of people who who work with teens, who you know, whether or not they've been a victim themselves they this is the culture that they're living and growing up in and you know for for every story of school shooting what's nice is you can offer them a a a ray of hope with an activist story and and you know like there are ways through this and there are ways to to use your voice and stand up and change and um yeah I mean (laughs) it's not heavy or easy uh, Mm um but yeah I, I have no like nothing nice to like wrap it up with. It's it's a tough topic. Um and it's just it's it's nice to see teens leading this charge. I'm sorry that they have to, but um yeah. that they are speaks volumes, I think. 
So let's wrap up the show on a little bit of a lighter note. Yes. <laughs> um, obviously, it's March, and March is Women's History Month, so let's talk about some feminist women's history sort of reads. I think we've both got a little mashup of the two um, in our lists here. And one of the reasons that I think this is worth talking about now and all the time is women created YA literature as much as we have sort of um, lifted men into a place where they receive accolades at rates that women don't, where, you know, we live in a culture where there are boy books and girl books and it's hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that no, actually there aren't. Um, yeah. You know, and we wanted to just highlight some <laughs> some good books uh, about feminists and women and women in history and in YA. And um, I'll dive in with a first one and then we can just go back and forth. Um, so, so my first one is a historical fiction novel. It's called Audacity by Melanie Crowder. It's a take on the real Clara Lemlich's story. And she was a force during the labor movement helping workers earn fair hours and better working conditions. Um, it's told in verse, and it's a powerhouse of a novel. Um, takes on activism and feminism, and um, though the book itself is not real, it's based on real events and a real person, and just, oh, so good. Um, you know, we don't see enough stories about the roles that young people played in the labor movement, and this is one that does. And it's in verse. Excellent. And it's in I, verse, um, yeah. I'm sort of living off those novels right now. With, with time allotments and the like. Um, well, one I'd like to recommend is uh, by, Bygone Badass Broads. Um, mm-hmm. Wait, Badass Bygone Broads? Oh, shoot. Which one is it? Is it Badass Bygone Broads? or Bygone Badass Broads. That's what it is. Okay, I'm pretty sure. When you put those three words into, into IndieBound or whatever <laughs> retailer you're using, it'll pop up. Um, but it's Mackenzie Lee's uh, latest book. I'm not sure... Uh, if you don't follow Mackenzie on Twitter, you really should. Um, she loves to tweet about kick-ass women throughout history, um, and this book expands on that. It brings up 52 awesome women through history that time has sort of forgotten, um, and it's just paired with these these gorgeous illustrations. Um, just came out a few weeks ago. Um, it's really, really fun. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out, whether it's titled uh, Badass Bygone Broads or Bygone Badass. It's, it's one of those two. Uh, Mackenzie Lee, look it up. <laughs> it's got a really nice like packaging, too. I looked at it at my local indie. It's like it's a little bit smaller than a typical like paperback is, mm-hmm. and just like it's it's really visually appealing. Um, I didn't I feel get like you would... to read it yet, but... Yeah, it has that look that? of a book you would... It has that look of a book you would just like maybe keep on your coffee table. Uh, yeah. You know, in the it, bathroom. It, yeah, in the bathroom, it's like an awesome like discussion sort of piece, which is which is great because it's covering all these these awesome women. Mm-hmm. Um, my next ones are duology. It's a um, speculative fiction duology. It's called uh, well the the first book is called Bumped, and the second book is called Thumped by Megan McCafferty. She wrote the Jessica Darling series, and this is her. Other series that certainly didn't get the attention that it deserved, and I think about way too much. Um, It's about a world where everyone over the age of 18 has sort of um, got this virus that has caused them all to become infertile. So parents of teenagers bid for what are called conception contracts for their children, bidding them off to the richest people they can in exchange for money, tuition, etc. And those teenagers, yeah, yeah, then become... (laughs) 
they become, you know, the the people who will continue to um, bear children, right? So in this particular um, instance, Melody, who has been secured in one of the highest contracts in this society's history, she discovers she has a twin sister, and she didn't know she had a twin sister, and suddenly things change. Um, it's a really provocative thoughtful series uh, about reproductive rights and um, about the sort of rights adults have over teenagers. And maybe my favorite part is this is a satire. So it came out at the time that we were getting all of those dystopia books about, you know, virus wipes out everyone over the age of 25 and yeah. um, all those similar stories. And this takes that premise and sort of takes a satirical look at it and um she's really really smart um tough to read um a little over the top to read but at the same time as you're reading it it's like oh man this is actually not that over the top um you know a little bit more relevant than you would hope yeah oh my goodness you're listing so many books that i haven't read yet this is fantastic (laughs) uh let's see so Oh, for I, I, and I know you like this author a bit. Uh, Kelly is uh, her her latest book, "Rebel Ladies Who Rock the World" uh, by mm-hmm. Penelope Bagu. It's uh, it's a book that just came out for a second. Who uh, that's kind of why I asked about that before because I was wondering if they also put out March. Um, who publish, you know, frankly, some of the best graphic novels in Kidlit. I, I love all their stuff. Um, and this one is a collection of fantastic role models. Um, Kelly, what what is the the book of hers that you really like a lot? Oh, she did this one called Exquisite Corpse, and it's a book about, um, oh, it's just, it has the plot twist that I've just been, like, dying for in a book, and I don't want to give it away, but um, (laughs) Exquisite Corpse is about this character who serves as a muse for a male writer, and uh, this muse decides to get revenge on that male writer, Um, just, like, so clever and... um, yeah. <laughs> Saying that, more would really give it away, but it's it's a twist on sort of the idea that we've seen in a number of movies and books where, you know, this guy is tormented by his muse and he can't create without it. And um, the muse is always in the form of like a young, pretty girl. And um, yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. So my next one is... Um, it's called Hashtag. It starts with Hashtag, Not Your Princess, Voices of Native American Women by Lisa Charlie Boy and Mary Beth Leatherdale. This is a short little book, um, but it's filled with stories and poetry and art by Native women and First Nations women. Um, super powerful and the sorts of voices that we just don't see enough of. Um, and like I said, it's a short little book. I wish it had been longer, and it's beautiful. Um, the art... Everything in there just flows really nicely, and it's the sort of collection that more people need to read and that, you know, I hope leads to seeing more of these creators getting full-length books as well. Um, And again, it's another one of those things where you start in an anthology, you get the breadcrumbs of something, and then you go down the rabbit hole of discovering this whole world of art and writing and storytelling that, like, you crave but don't necessarily have the quick, easy access to. Yeah. Let's see. So my next one uh, is Wonder Women by Sam Maggs. Um, this is another book, kind of like Bygone Badass Broads, um, that has uh, illustrations and awesome 
uh, blips about ladies throughout history. Um, this book also pairs well with, and full disclosure, I worked on this book when I was at QuirkBooks, uh, <laughs> a book called The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, which is this really awesome, like, chunky little gift book that's a like pop culture feminism book um talking about how to be a fangirl and and sort of navigate um you know the 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 sometimes uh not so great world of uh of new york comic-con uh as a woman um sam mags writes just these ah, they're just really wonderful really funny and really poignant uh little books that just look so great on the bookshelf my next one i've got two i think if you've got another one after these two, you can throw it in. But I, I think your list is <laughs> your list is shorter than mine as usual. Um, not because Eric doesn't try, but because I have like just massive lists. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first one is Americanized Rebel Without a Green Card by Sarah Sadie. It's a memoir that just came out this year about a girl who discovers she's an undocumented immigrant in the United States when she's... I want to say she's nine or ten when she discovers it, and um, she does so because her older sister went to apply for a job and didn't have a social security number. Um, and so this is a book about her sort of living this life as an undocumented immigrant in the United States and living with the fear that she and her family might be sent back to Iran at any time. Um, it's super timely and poignant, but what I loved most about this book was the humor. It was so funny. Um, it's, it's written in a way that just like, I see teenagers picking this up and being like, Sarah's my best friend, you know, like that sort of, sort of tone. And yet it takes on this massive issue and, um, does so in a really relatable sort of way. Um, and that's Americanized Rebel Without a Green Card by Sarah Sadie. And then my last one is sort of a three for one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just watched this show on Netflix called Girls Incarcerated. It's a short mini documentary series um, on Netflix streaming about this, I don't want to say juvenile detention center, but it's similar to a juvenile detention center in southern Indiana where um, young girls go when they've committed a crime. And this is sort of their way of rehabilitating um so that they don't have to go to, like, actual juvenile hall. And um, long-time readers of mine will know that, like, girls and justice is something that has always interested me and fascinated me. So, like, this documentary from the start, like, had me. Had me the whole time. Um, and it, it just made me think about a couple other books that are worth talking about. One, one of them was an Alex Award book, so an adult book for... Um, why readers like why adult book that why readers would love and that's girls and justice by richard ross and it's a series of photos that ross did in these juvenile detention centers and giving girls an opportunity to share their stories their stories both of like their experience being incarcerated and also their lives beyond what caused them to get there and then the other one is uh push out the criminalization of black girls in schools by monique morris um and that one, I think, too, ties into what we talked about earlier in um, where black girls are seeing themselves in in stories and in narratives. And um, I just wanted to sort of tie all the pieces of today's podcast together with recommending those three um, pieces of media to sort of sit with and, and think about, particularly when it comes to 
um, teen activism and, and what we are seeing in the media and what we're not seeing in the media. And also everyone should read your book. I mean, here we are, <laughs> Feminism for the Real World kind of ties into all this really well. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind if people read it. Um, no, I mean, yeah, there's so many good voices in there and so many underrepresented voices. And, um, it's just, it's a book I'm wildly proud of because I got to work with these brilliant people who share these tremendous stories and experiences. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's our show for today. Right. Um, lots for people who made it, yeah. For people who made it this far, let's let's share a little secret about today's podcast. This is our third try at recording it. Third try. <laughs> yeah, we had some mishaps, but I think I think the third time was indeed the charm. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for tuning in this week. If you've got any feedback for the show, we'd love to hear it on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing, and when you do that, you let other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars, and you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we will talk to you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.